welcome to the 16th episode of Wildfire Matters, the podcast that covers all aspects of wildland fire management for the Bureau of Land Management, or BLM. We talk with the people who manage and protect our public lands, many dedicating their lives to the profession. Today, Jennifer and I are talking with BLM National Honor Guard Coordinator Matthew Norton, who is also Fire Management Officer for Rocky Mountain District BLM in Colorado. Welcome, Matt. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and this is a kind of our first episode of doing this virtual. Matt is actually in Colorado, so we wanted to have a discussion about the Honor Guard. Obviously, that's what we're here to talk to you about today, but also about your background and how you got involved with this. So can you start out a little bit about telling us about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I began seasonally in Wildland Fire with the BLM back in 2002. After I graduated from college, I knew I wanted to get into to fire some way. Initially, my plan was to be a structure firefighter, as many people that I had met, that was their original plan. So I started out seasonally on a, an engine crew in Canyon City, where I'm at now. And I did three years seasonally on an engine there and decided to try other avenues and, and see other places and actually moved to Alaska to pursue a structure fire career up there and go to take some classes and then ended up working seasonally with the state of Alaska on an engine there for a couple of years. And the more I started to think about it, the more I realized I didn't I didn't want to do all the, the medical stuff and, and other things that came along with, with structure fire. So I decided to stick with the wildland portion and got a got an assistant captain job back in Canyon City in 2006 and came back home and have been there ever since. And I've been really fortunate to basically progress throughout my career, just moving up to the next position in that same location where I grew up. So that's been really good. I heard about the Honor Guard for the first time somewhere around probably 2010. Didn't know, you know, essentially what it was. A couple of members from Colorado BLM that were they were on the honor guard, shared some information about it with me, recommended that, you know, that I could probably be a good member for the honor guard. At the time, didn't give it a whole lot of thought. Maybe didn't think I had the capacity for that type of job or wasn't in the mindset for it. So definitely aware of it for a little while, but then took a detail into Wyoming in 2015, where there was another member of the honor guard at a, at a meeting I attended there. Who, who I had not known previously. And he actually recommended, approached me and recommended that I apply for the Honor Guard. And, and not that I dismissed the, you know, the other two members from Colorado that I previously knew, but for, you know, somebody else who I'd never met before to, to approach me and, you know, say that I, that I should join the Honor Guard, that would be a good fit for me and, and for the Honor Guard. That I guess resonated with me a little bit more. So I looked into it a little bit more and then applied and in 2016 and was selected to the Honor Guard at that point and had been on the Honor Guard since. And you're now a coordinator for the Honor Guard. How did you get into that role? So it was more or less a selection process among the Honor Guard. There was two other Honor Guard coordinators before me when I first got in. And as you know, they've decided to to step away from the Honor Guard, you know, previous coordinators have approached, you know, other people within the honor guard that they thought would be good, a good fit 
for that position, then that basically then gets you know voted on or vetted throughout the rest of the honor guard to confirm if, if everybody else is is good with that selection. You know, frequently there's there's not a whole lot of competition or, or fighting for that position. <laughs> you get to uh, do all the coordination, right? For, uh, for, for you guys. Yeah, more or less. It's definitely we're not a you know there's not ranking members within the honor guard you know regardless of where your position is and with a blm and where you worked you know once you come to the honor guard everybody's on the same level playing field which is what i've always enjoyed about the honor guard you know we've had people from you know state fmos all the way down to you know assistant engine captains and you know everybody everybody has the same say and everybody is is an honor guard member and as a coordinator you know i've just I would say more just a channel for information to, you know, when we've got missions and, and organization and things that we need to organize for, you know, that information will then will come through me and I'll reach out to members and determine who to, who to send, who's available, how many we need to send. So, yeah, I guess as far as the function goes of, of the coordinator, it's, it's just that, that focal point for for gathering information and, and coordinating on guard response. Right. So more of the contact too. So they know, yeah, just one, the, one person to contact would be you and then you coordinate the rest. Correct. Okay. And before we get into that more, <laughs> let's step back and just let people know what exactly the honor guard is and what you do. So the honor guard, the primary mission is we honor the, you know, firefighters who have given their lives in the line of duty primary mission for, for the honor guard is to respond to memorials and funeral services for BLM fire line of duty deaths. That's, that's our first, first priority. We do have secondary missions in that we will respond to other BLM employee, non-fire line of duty deaths, as well as other non-BLM fire service employees who have died in the line of duty as well. So those are the three main areas that we the honor guard responds to and we do as well go to annual memorial type services to honor you know fallen firefighters over the year so those those are the primary missions that we go to there is a lot of gray area you know that we that we have it's not always you know black and white of we will do this type of that events and we we won't depending on the, the circumstances that that follow everything so that's why we have the Lani, the honor guard liaison and myself to to discuss you know like obviously there's there's certain situations that are black and white we will we will send folks to services or we won't but then we do have that those times where we do have to discuss it and and determine whether or not it's it's appropriate to have an honor guard response and then how many we will respond with, with the honor guard. So when we, when we do show up, we do a variety of things. Initially we'll do, you know, honor watch for the fallen, which essentially means that we will have somebody or, or multiple people that are basically watching over the deceased for 24 hours a day to where they will not be left alone, basically until cremation or internment. So we'll, we'll do honor watch during those times we will coordinate honor watch because obviously that's good that's a big toll on on people and their time and we need to have 
you know, a lot of depth in that arena so that we can continue to plan memorial funeral services, but still have somebody doing honor watch. So we'll coordinate with, with other fire departments and other honor guards that come in and, and other firefighters for that matter come in to help to do the honor watch. Then we will do quite a bit of the planning and preparation, working with the family and friends and loved ones with the deceased on, you know, their wishes and what they would like to see in the terms of a, of a memorial and or funeral services. And obviously we've, we've done this you know, quite a few times. So we are familiar with you know, the things that we can provide and things that we've done in the past. So we'll make suggestions like that to family and friends, and then we will help to organize those. And then some of those things that we do for those memorial services and funerals, we've done, you know, color guard where we, you know, present the colors before we've done pallbearers for carrying the casket. Frequently we'll do flag folding ceremonies. Then, you know, pallbearing once again for internment and a variety of a variety of other memorial type events that we'll do throughout funeral service. How many members do you have on the honor guard and do all of them get dispatched to a request? So we have currently 15 members of the honor guard. So we are actually at capacity right now, which is the, the first time that we have been in quite a while. So that's very good to see. We got approval to go up to 15 a few years ago, just to add more capacity and capability for the honor guard to, to spread ourselves out a little bit more. And how many we deploy to an event, it depends. We've, we've always said that we will send a minimum of two so that we have the support so that whoever goes has support of another honor guard member with them. So we rock not send any, any single parties anymore. For any BLM line of duty death, we typically send the, the, the whole BLM honor guard to that one. And then uh, depending on the other missions that we go on, well, you know, sometimes initially send two or send four or five for them to determine what the, the mission is going to entail and how many other Honor Guard members from other agencies are present, how much assistance is required. And yeah, that's, that's basically how we'll de determine what kind of response we'll have. So you're working with Honor Guard members from other agencies, so it's not just, you're not just responding to BLM fatalities, it sounds like. So do, Correct. do all the other agencies then, how many other agencies have Honor Guard? Like so this? the Forest Service has an Honor Guard, the National Park Service has an Honor Guard, and we frequently work with, with both of those agencies on all fallen firefighter memorials. The... Fish and Wildlife Service has an honor guard. Their honor guard, I believe, is is mixed with all fish and wildlife employees, law enforcement, and and fire, as well as the Forest Service as well. They could they're not strictly fire and aviation, whereas the the Park Service and the, the BLM are are fire and aviation honor guards. I believe there's there's other honor guards, law enforcement wise, that have I know BLM has its own law enforcement honor guard. We haven't interacted with them, but a couple times on, on some, some events. 
I know the Bureau of Indian Affairs is actually looking to stand up there, their honor guard. They're just in the infant stages of, of doing that as well. So I am curious to see how they progress with their honor guard. Can you give us a little bit of history about the program and its importance for firefighters and others? So the the concept for the BLR Modern Guard came following the, the 1994 tragedy on the, the South Canyon fire just outside of Glenwood Springs, where 14 firefighters lost their life on Storm King Mountain. Um, and then according to the records that I had, the Honor Guard was finally stood up in, in 2000. And there's been 56 members that have come through the BLM Honor Guard to date. And as far as the, the firefighter community, you know, to me, and, you know, I think the rest of the firefighter community, the, the Honor Guard represents the, the highest ideals, you know, of honor and dignity and professionalism and respect for the agency and the fire community, the families and friends and the co-workers of, of those that have lost their their life in the line of duty. And how long does member stay on the honor guard? Or is there a term limit or? So we, we've always said that we request that there's a two-year minimum commitment to the honor guard. You know, so circumstances in life sometimes dictate otherwise, but that's the, the initial request that we have that at least two years. There has never been a term maximum, if you will. It has been discussed just because of the more so the emotional toll that that doing this kind of work can take on people and whether you know it's been discussed whether that there should be time where where somebody should step away but it's more of an internal discussion i guess when it comes to to that matter because we don't want to there, there are people that are passionate about doing the honor guard and obviously don't want to force them to step away if, if they're not ready to, and if they're still, you know, functioning as a good member of the honor guard. Yeah. So how, and how long have you been on the honor guard? This is my seventh year with the honor guard. And I said, yeah, it started in, in 2016. So it'll be seven years this year that I've been on the honor guard. Who oversees is who oversees the honor guard? So it's, it's under SA. Fire and aviation. Fire and aviation. Yeah, correct. Yeah, you're correct. <laughs> so, and, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you've got to watch the acronyms <laughs> there. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're right. And so the, the liaison in the past has been with fire and aviation. And then most recently, the uh, Paul Peterson, the Nevada State FMO, was our honor guard liaison. And it's now going to, moving forward, going to go back under fire and aviation and have a liaison there with fire and aviation. At the national office? Yeah. Where yeah, we're correct. at? NFC. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yes, we know Paul. Very well, yeah. We're sad. <laughs> He's... Yeah, he's retiring. He's retired. Good for him. Yeah, he only good for has him. a few more days too, as a matter of fact. He does. So yeah, we're gonna miss him, but yeah, we're excited for his new new part of his life. So. Yes. Still be in contact. So um I, I think you kind of mentioned this, who the honor guard serves is mainly 
BLM fire said, but it sounds like you also will go to other agents or help out other agencies as well. Correct. It's it's sometimes difficult with, you know, when we when we have a, a BLM fatality and then we'll be, you know, in that in that given area and then there'll be other honor guards, local honor guards, even local fire departments that'll come and and reach out and and assist us with which we're greatly you know appreciative of because we'll you know take all the help that we can get and then you know in turn you know sometimes these departments will have their own fatalities and we really would like to help but it's we're you know there's only 15 of us on a on a national scale and when when we're you know spread out across the nation and we we interact with so many different departments too to try to to send representation from the BLM monitor to you know every time you know a local fire department has a line of duty death it's it'd be extremely difficult for us to to do and just it would be such a cost to bear for for those that do it. I mean I, everybody within the honor guard you know comes from all facets of fire and aviation and they have you know other other day jobs and it would be great if we could have you know just a full-time you know beyond fire honor guard that could just just do that but obviously that's not that's not feasible so we we can't we can't spread our people too thin and and put more of a burden on them than than we already do. So unfortunately, there's there's times that those other you know, local departments that, that we're not able to to support them and, and send some folks. But we try to, like I said, there's there's a lot of gray area in, in where we can send folks. And we try to help out where we can. That's understandable. Sure. How do employees become members? So we do have open recruitment year round. The links to the honor guard and all the information, the, the information about the honor guard and the application is on the, the fire operations website under program areas on under honor guard, but we do take applications year round. We do have active recruitment annually, typically, depending on how many spots we, we have to fill. In the past, we've always done recruitment in you know the late spring or around the springtime if you will um then uh, we're, we're we're discussing changing our re open recruitment with the, the change in the, the national fallen firefighter memorial schedule which i'll i'll get into here in a bit but in order to have have new members onboarded and have them um and get into their uniforms and then you'll know, be able to to come to the memorial we're considering having to move our, our recruitment period. So we'll do the, you know, the active recruitment, depending on, like I said, how many, how many positions we have open and then conduct interviews and go through, you know, resumes and applications and yeah, determine who, who would be the best fit. You do like an interview with them too? Correct. Correct. And that's, that's more, I think the interview, you know, is, is probably the most important part of it to, 
to get to the, you know, the mindset and the frame of mind that people are coming in with and what their, their reasons, motivations are for being on the honor guard. As far as qualifications go, you know, there's, there's no qualifications that we're specifically looking for. Obviously with the, the things that we do as far as, as memorial services with the, the marching and the flag folding and the color guard flag presentations, you know, prior ROTC in high school or college helps, you know, prior military experience definitely helps with the, just getting that, those movements down sure. a little, a little quicker, but once again, not, not a prerequisite by any means, like we said, just more the, the, what, what are the reasons that they're, that their heart's in the right place and they're, they're doing it for the right reasons, you know, what we're looking for. Right. Looking for that mindset and you have to have, I mean, it's pretty a somber job, it seems, you know, to, to do this. So you really have to want to do it. Yeah. And to help, yeah. help those family members out. For sure. So what does it take? Like if somebody was to become or wanting to be a part of the honor guard, what are the qualities that you're looking for? So we do actually have in our, we do have some, I guess, somewhat prerequisite criteria that we have on our, on the fire ops page and, and the uh, recruitment bulletin. They, I mean, must be obviously a current employee with the, the BLM and have a performance rating of fully successful or better. And so they're just being, you know, good standing with uh, the bureau, have no pending disciplinary, disciplinary actions. Um, and we expect a, a, a minimum, you know, reasonable level of physical fitness. So, and, you know, reasonably physical fit appearance. So I, we know, you know, not everybody in, in fire and aviation is, you know, does, you know, arduous duty, duty firefighting. But so I guess our bar for that, that we put in there is that, you know, we, we say that you must be able to successfully, successfully complete the light work capacity test, you know, a one mile walk in, in 16 minutes. So, and it's, in this. that's us. So it is, you know, it's just that appearance, you know, and the things that we do with the honor guard, because we do have to stand for long periods of time. We do have to march. There is, it's, you know, not arduous type work, but there, there does require, you know, some level of, of fitness to, to be successful with the two. Right. And then there we do, we do have some honor guard grooming standards. They're very similar to military grooming standards as well. Look presentable, but also that, that takes a lot to have to stand yeah. for a long period of time in a certain position too. It, it does. Yeah. And also too, to have a mentality, I know you need to stand there that long. So what kind of training is involved then? We'll meet twice a year. You know, when we go to the, the National Fall Firefighters Memorial back in DC and Gettysburg and Emmitsburg. And then we'll, we'll have a additional training either in the spring or the fall, depending on when the memorial is. Um, and then during those trainings, we'll go through marching movements and facing movements, which are, I mean, they're, they're important, but it, and we don't do, I guess, a lot of those for long distance for doing the, for knowing the commands, but more so the, the crispness 
of the of the movements in order to make sure that those those look good and correcting any any of the movements you know for for people who are maybe not be as familiar with it yeah. if we haven't you know been together you know in a while then you know refreshing those those movements and and, and practicing those again is important one thing that we practice consistently when we get together for training is is our flag folding and that's one of the big presentations that we do at memorials and at funeral services and that we, we want to do a really good job of making look good so we'll we'll do a lot of flag folding practice yeah that can take some skill <laughs> it does and yeah. it's and it's always you know and every every flag is is different can oh. be a little longer stretched a little different or different um, or whatever yeah yeah so yeah there's a lot of a lot of little tricks and and things that we do with flag folding but a lot of a lot of time and, and practice goes into that i can see that because yeah you're yeah you're in front of everybody and it's all a somber moment yep. you gotta be careful about your yeah doing that so what I, I know we talked about the time commitment of two years but what about you know if you if you are do have multiple you, you could be going to multiple events throughout the season i mean what it was kind of a typical i guess year look like for somebody having to be gone and attend that's hard to it's hard to give i guess an average on it you know because we we've had some years where we've We've gone throughout throughout the whole. We've had good years where we've gone throughout the whole summer without without seeing each other outside of you know fire assignments or spring and fall trainings. That is, um, that's good. But then there has been you know those other years. Last year was you know one of those years where um, we can work it together. I mean, we'll. I think I deployed to three three different assignments last year. I think that was. I think one to three was average for all of our members last year. Like I said, it depends on how many people will that will send to assignments. So there there has been years where it, it has taken you know the toll, and I know 2013 was another really really busy year where people went to a lot of deployments. So it's yeah, it's hard to put an average on it, but it I. You know, I would say probably one to one to two a year is, is typical for all members. And then there are annual events that you're going to mention that are one coming up too, that and and people requesting services for. But you mentioned the National Fallen Firefighters Memorial in Emmitsburg. Correct. Talk a little bit more about that because I know it did change dates. Correct. Yeah, historically it has always been the first weekend. In October, which you know worked well for for our schedule, but they have they've decided this year for 2023 to move it to the first weekend in May. So we've been uh, scrambling to to get our our ducks in a row to make sure that we can attend that because they are honoring Colin Hagen, the BLM Craig Hotshot who passed away on in the line of duty this last year. So. Some special emphasis this year for us in attending that memorial. So, yep, we'll we'll all go out and we we spend roughly a week 
back east. We'll we'll travel to to Washington D.C. initially do some team building training work in Washington D.C. for a couple of days. Then we'll travel to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, where we'll we'll stay and do you know a couple other training exercises in Gettysburg, and then attend the the National Fallen Firefighters Memorial there in Emmitsburg on Saturday and Sunday before we depart and head back out. What kind of things, events happen during that Memorial Weekend that you guys participate in? So on Saturday of the Memorial, there's there's different stations, if you will, throughout uh, the more Memorial Grounds which is at the, the FEMA campus in, in Emmitsburg, those that may not be familiar. So there's the memorial outside. Um, there's the pathway of bricks that have the names of all of our fallen firefighters over the years. There's the, the chapel where there's candles up at the, at the altar of the chapel for the families to come in and light a candle and then try to think what other there's a there's a candlelight vigil vigil the night of Saturday. There's a survivor's flag that is is flown outside of a hotel with an honor watch for throughout the weekend there in Gettysburg. Yeah, there's there's just a lot of I guess events and and stations, if you will, throughout that that area that the families can attend and go to. I know they go and place a wreath at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier in Arlington National Cemetery at some point. And yeah, I'm trying to. I'm sure. I'm sure I'm missing some some of the stations and the things that they do there. Is we can't we can't assist with them all, but those are the ones that come to mind. I have a lot to, a lot of events to. Remember our fallen firefighters. Yes. Yeah, and it's pretty. And then on, and then I forgot that on Sunday is when they actually do the memorial itself. So all the all the families um, will get will get bused to the campus, and then all the honor guard members will line the walkways in the sea of blue. It's what they it's what they call it, and we'll stand at. You know, attention there as they as they walk in, and then once they're all seated, then they go through a a program. You know, with several several speakers and and singers, and then they'll announce all the names of of those that have died in line of duty fire service over the last year. And then, yeah, that's that'll wrap. And there's a few other flags that are given out at that point well and then all the departments will march in with their flags and they'll have bagpipes drums and a whole slew of honor guard that sounds like it'd be pretty emotional yeah yeah it, it can be sure it's a lot it's a lot to take in especially for for families can you provide an example or two of an impactful experience you might have had this sounds like it could be one of them. So there's been, I would say, three very impactful events in my my honor guard career. The first one 
was the it was it was literally days after I was selected to the honor guard with the, the denial rollover outside of denial nevada in 2016 with when we lost uh, will hawkins and jacob o'malley like i said i was i was selected days before to the honor guard and i was actually on a, a fire assignment in northwest colorado and i remember driving to the airport and flying from grand junction to to reno to to get to the medical examiner's office as quick as i could to do to do honor watch and then because i was so new i didn't you know have my uniform yet but just just being you know immediately so immersed in in everything that the the BL monarch guard did and, and assisting in any way i could that it wasn't a uniform that that whole experience was very very impactful and very very memorable the second one was the, the the very next year in 2017 when gary helming passed away returning from a fire assignment in california uh gary was used to work at a grand junction with the blm and a former honor guard member so that was very impactful for um for for everybody on the honor guard for those that you know from colorado that knew him from from everybody that knew him but you know, had special meaning for for the BLM Honor Guard as well. And at the time, he was working for the Forest Service. But you know, I, I would say that we, as the BLM Honor Guard, had you know the primary um, the role of of organizing the, the services for for Gary, and that was probably one of the more emotional, I guess, services that we've done for the honor guard too, for, for obvious reasons. And then finally, the, the, the last most memorable one was the Colin Hagen's services last year, being from, being from Colorado and, and, and knowing, you know, being very, you know, close with uh, the Craig Hotshots and, and being a BLM in fatality. It, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of work and a lot of, the weight and weight that went with doing those services as well. So those, those three were very, had been very impactful. That's tough to deal with this could take a toll. I could see, I mean, you really have to have that kind of constitution or that kind of a, I don't know what, what, what does it take for you to to do to be able to Uh, go through these? It's, I mean, you definitely have to be able to, I guess, remain, you know, stoic but compassionate at the same time, especially during, you know, services. You can't let yourself get immersed into the emotion of the situation at the time. And not that you become, you know, cold and callous to it, but you can't. It'd be, it's too overwhelming in, to to allow, if you allowed yourself to, to get immersed into all that. And obviously it takes its toll. You're, you're around it, you know, the whole time. So... Eventually, all that has to get you know, unpacked. And we're you know, very close to that family with the honor guard, and um, have that actual a clinician that we have employed to, to come out with us and help us, you know, basically unpack all this and, and discuss this. To, you know, help the helpers. But yeah, it's it's compartmentalizing things, knowing when 
you you have to that you have a mission to do that you have to be there for the family and the loved ones to to do the job of of honoring honoring their loved one who gave their lives and do that to the best of your ability without getting immersed in the emotions and that's what may i could think you know has the, the greatest impact on on those families is being that strength during those times and then you know after the fact dealing with with it all and in a healthy way if that makes any sense that makes a lot of sense because i was just thinking about that and it's it's good that you have a, somebody to talk to about that as yeah. well and lined up to do that because I, I don't know how you how yeah. you how you would be able to handle that especially if you had you know, multiple incidents that you're going to and if you knew people that were involved yeah it would be that would be tough so it's good to be able to unload with somebody that is professionally trained to help you deal with that absolutely sure. and, um, and it's it takes the right kind of person too we've noticed yeah. we we've had you know gone through some some schism type courses after events that maybe weren't as well received with honor guard members just because of the timing and then and then the, you know the personnel that we've had so but yeah finding the right person has been has been key for us to to be able to open up and and be constructive with them and every person is different too so i mean you probably have things that you do when you've you've left the event and you come home Live fishing, anything to kind of clear your head. So I'm sure that also helps too. Is just taking that that time for yourself. It does absolutely, and I'm I'm probably more so in that in that latter category. I'm typically not the open extrovert type. I I don't I guess recharge and and unpack with with other folks around me after you know frequently after we'll do these type of missions. I'll retreat if you will but i think i think in a healthy way to like you said go go fishing or ride my motorcycle or go golfing or and then with my my wife and kids too it's a good good outlet for me to to come home and unpack and 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 deal with all that so yeah i mean exactly like you said that support role at home too is is vital to to your guys's mission and and how you are in recovering absolutely so do you have any advice for someone interested in joining the honor guard? You know, after talking about all this, obviously you have to you have to be mentally, emotionally prepared for what you might be dealing with, but. Yeah. And I, th I think, yeah, like you just said, they have to, to really know what the honor guard is about, what, what we are and what we, what we are not, what, you know, our missions entail. And you know whether or not they have the capacity to to be able to to do that and and handle it, and and then too, like I mentioned before, of of doing it for the right reasons, and 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 knowing why you need to be there, know why the mission of the honor guard is, and, and why we have the honor guard, and and those are the two of the biggest things I think is. Is that that capacity of, of knowing yourself well enough to, to determine um, if it's something for you and you're passionate about? Because if, if you really have any hesitations of, you know, maybe I'll try it for a little bit and see, you know, you really have to know and say that this is this is going to be something for me and and I want to 
and, and most of our most of our people come from people that have have attended services or have experienced you know fatalities close to them in the fire service that have have seen our services and what the the honor guard provides and you know that that has traded with them that that passion of hey like that was that was really cool what the honor guard came and did and i want to be a part of that so a lot of our folks that's <laughs> that's why we joke you know i should say joke but you know following because we've got a lot of members from from Nevada on our on our guard, and after you know the Hawkins and O'Malley services, you know there's a lot of people from Nevada that you know having and being part of those services, what you know said to themselves, you know I want to be a part of the honor guard. So. Well, it's great that there's a lot of people that have that passion that want to give back. Yep. Yeah, definitely a very important part of a BLM Fire and Aviation program. We appreciate, yeah, appreciate what you're doing yeah, and all of you guys. How you balance that with with your current job too? I mean, is that ever an issue for some of these members and, and yourself? It it has been definitely the support at home. Like we said, a strong a strong support um, based at home, but then also a strong support from the supervisor and and the home unit as well because we have had and you know members of the honor guard that you know when they initially joined they you know their their supervisor you know did say that they supported them but then maybe didn't quite understand the the time commitment that it would take or you know you know things change in people's lives they get new jobs they go somewhere else so they get new supervisors, you know, so it's, it's not always been, you know, real easy and understanding for, for maybe some, some supervisors to, to allow their folks. And it's, it's more, and I, and that's, that's the rarity. It really is, you know, most, most supervisors, most people in BLM, I think understand. And it's, and it's just maybe a lack, yeah, maybe it's just a lack of knowledge of, of exactly, you know, how important the honor guard is, how few members, you know, we really have in comparison to, you know, the whole BLM and the whole fire service and, and how important, you know, obviously the missions that we go on are, but even the, the training that we do twice a year, how important it is for, for us, not only to, to keep our skills sharp, but, but to meet together and to, to have that support system within ourselves and, and you know, is to get the family together too. Uh, to, to support each other so uh, another part of the fire family yeah absolutely on average how many people apply for honor guard positions how many applications do you guys get a year oh i would say between you know two to two to eight and i yeah i'm not sure what what drives the you know the interest in the honor guard from from year to year, if if the word gets out, you know, a little better to to some folks, some years and others, or there's just maybe some circumstances that spark interest in 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 folks. But yeah, it's usually less than ten, but usually at least two. Okay, 
Well, and so like on a year like this year, you said you are at capacity at 15, right? And Correct. So would you still have people applying and possibly like on a waiting list or something or how does that work? So I, like I said, we do have an open application period year round. Typically I don't, we don't get applications year round. And typically we only get the applications when we do open recruitment. And, and typically we don't, we won't send out um, an open recruitment announcement. I am, unless we are, unless we have vacancies, you know, available. If we are at capacity throughout the year, then like I said, we'll take applications, which, you know, typically don't come in unless we actively recruit, but yeah, we won't, we won't recruit unless we're, if we have some slots open. Yeah. Slots. So if you, well, being at capacity this year, if, if right. there's maybe a couple people that maybe can't do or decide that, oh, you know, this is not going to work out for them for this year, would you then look at recruiting them and bringing a couple or people? Oh, yeah. Yeah. If we had, we have a couple members that decided that they were going to, you know, step away and, and we had um, um, slots open. And it wouldn't be, you know, immediately, I guess, when we had the vacancy. But like I mentioned earlier, as far as recruitment goes, we'll probably, it hasn't been decided for sure, but we're considering moving our, our recruitment to more during the, uh, the middle of the summer with collection of new members occurring early fall. That way uh, we can, we can capture more people that would be in, you know, in pay status for those career seasonal type employees that may not be in pay status during, during spring recruitment, late winter recruitment. And two, that way we can bring them on board, you know, in the, in the fall, do our fall training and then have enough time to get them uniforms before uh, the National Fall Firefighters Memorial come the next spring. And that would give, you know, more time to obviously winter, you know, downtime for, for fires and obviously downtime more so for, for Honor Guard as well. And would give us that, that winter to get them, get them uniforms, get them ingrained into the Honor Guard um, so that we can be ready come spring. So that's the intention. We'll see if, if that comes to fruition this coming year. Well, on a side note, I, I did want to thank you all for coming to the Jack Wilson Memorial that service that we did. It was a that was yes. kind of one of those unusual requests, but it was a family request that we had. And Jack Wilson was uh, our fire director at NIFSI for twenty years. He served. He was a mil in the military prior to that. Really got the interagency concept together. Up to his hundred and one birthday, yes. he used to come to Nipsey just to sit in the director's chair. So it was really, really special that you could be there, and we were really, really grateful for you. Um, yes, absolutely, participating that was, in that event. We were, we were glad to participate. And that was, that was one of those, you know, I mean, not the, not the event that was strange, but because I mean, when when he passed, we were in the midst of you know COVID okay. at that yeah. time, and and that was you know, change the game for, you know, everything at that time. So trying to find out, find the best time for, to, to honor him there at NFC and, and for us to come. But yeah, we were, we were happy to come and, and, and honor him there. Yeah. Family very much appreciated that. So in closing, any words of wisdom you might have for someone out there looking at to get into the <laughs> guard or 
wanting to be a part of the program. I don't know about wisdom. I think we <laughs> we just we did we did to do really um, good job. We tried on our end of of getting you know the word out there what the honor guard is and giving people exposure to it. You know, some of the people, some of it is, you know, not raising and made not knowing what the honor guard is, that even the honor guard exists and then not knowing what the honor guard is, if it does. So, so educating, you know, all the BLM of, of the, that we have in our guard and, and what it, and what it does. And then just planting that seed and then encouraging people to, to apply for it. And like I said, we are at capacity now, but we, we do get turnover, you know, quite, quite frequently. So, and it's, you know, like we said, it's comes from all aspects of, of BLM fire and aviation. You know, it's not just the, not just the, the ground ponders out there. I mean, we've got, we got seat based managers and, and mid ed specialists and, and unit aviation officers and fire management officers and assistant engine captains and engine captains, helicopters, crew supervisors. I mean, almost. <laughs> Representing you know, almost every program yeah. we have in fire. Honestly. Yeah, honestly. And almost, I think we had not quite all the states. We're still, we're still missing a few states represented, but we got, we got quite a few, so. Well, you can definitely count this podcast as a recruitment for you guys. And there's <laughs> quite a few people that listen to that. So definitely utilize Good. that. At least some education on, yeah. on what the important mission you have. Yes. Appreciate Absolutely. It. Thank you, Matt, for joining us today on the 16th episode. Kind of a somber yes. episode, but an, an important one. Very important. Thank you for taking the time to tell us about this very important program to provide the support to our wildland firefighters and family members. Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks, Matt. We appreciate the time to talk to us today and tell us about the, the Honor Guard. And to learn more about NIFSI or the BLM, please visit our website, www.nifsi.gov. If you have questions, comments, or topic suggestions for future podcasts, email them by visiting the nifsi.gov website. Scroll down to contact us. Use Wildfire Matters Podcast in the subject line. And remember to follow us at BLM Fire on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you all for listening. Please join us next time when we spark a conversation with a BLM firefighter preparing for the fire year. Until, Until then, stay safe and be wildfire aware. aware.